Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi everyone, and welcome to Confessions of a Debut Novelist, with me, your host, Chloe Timms. This week, I'm talking to Catherine Yardley about her contemporary novel, Ember. Catherine has been writing since she was a child, and says she's happiest when she's reading or writing. She loves women's fiction because she believes women have the right to have their stories told in all their messy, complex glory. In this episode, we discuss writing sibling relationships, how acting helps her create characters, and the snobbery surrounding women's fiction. But first, here's Catherine with an excerpt from Ember. I need you to get out of the car. What? Rob asks. I need you to get out of the car, I say again, trying to be as calm as possible. Rob stares at me and blinks. Then he looks around. It is getting darker we are in the middle of nowhere. He was startled awake by the car lurching forward. He looks at me and blinks again. He was sleeping when I put my foot on the brake and he's still half asleep. I look back at him, trying to keep all of my emotions down. I need you to open the door and get out of the car. I can tell he's trying to figure out what the hell is happening. What? I need you to get out of the car, I say again. The irritation in my voice makes me hate myself. Finally, he opens the door and swings his legs out. He hesitates for the rest of his body follows. Then he spins back around and looks at me again, his hand on the door. He is nonplussed, I can tell, almost shell-shocked. Please take a step back and close the door. He does as I ask and I drive off. As I do, I hear him coming out of his fuzz to yell, that is actually my fucking car. Driving is usually how I relax, but not tonight. Tonight, something had broken in me. Trying to behave normally was exhausting. I just wanted to scream at the top of my voice. It would be dark in a couple of hours and dusk was already starting to make its mark. The only thing that's bright is the headlights of the car. I think back to what just happened, how gorgeous Rob looked as he slept. His profile was beautiful. I always loved his strong, straight nose, his high cheekbones and his perfect jaw. His face took my breath away. I felt lucky every moment he was in my life, which is why I tried to ignore the seed that had been planted inside of me. A seed that was growing at an exponential rate. I felt like a counsellor would take away everything that I have and yet I had not managed to stop the growth. I put my foot on the brake fast and heavy. Then it was done, leaving only self-hatred and hollowness. I closed my eyes and the tears come. 
Hi, Catherine. Welcome to the podcast. I'm really happy to have you here with me today to discuss your debut novel, Ember. Thank you for having me, Chloe. Can you start by kind of giving us an outline of the plot of your novel? Yeah, I can. So Ember's basically about Natalie. Um, Her younger sister, Amanda, gets married and pregnant before her. And um, Natalie's the one who's planning her wedding. She's the maid of honour. And Amanda wants their father to come to the wedding. And their father walked out on him on Christmas Day, um, like 30 years ago. And Amanda doesn't, um, Natalie doesn't really speak to her father anymore. So there's quite a few different things happening. And um, it's just like the, their father's infidelity just tore the family apart. And then Natalie has been in a relationship with her um, boyfriend for a very long time. They're not married, they don't have children. And it just kind of, her life just kind of unravels from this kind of unhealed wound, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, we also get the perspective of um, the mother character and how the infidelity and, and the father walking out impacted her as well, don't we? Yeah, I, lo- I love that character. <laughs> so where did your inspiration for this come from? Was it something that kind of developed over time or did you have like a, a light bulb moment? What was what was the process for your inspiration? So the inspiration was I actually wrote this um, as a film script. I used to work in the film industry and I wanted to write, I don't have a sister. So basically I have two older brothers and I kind of always wanted a sister. So I kind of wanted to write um, a book about, initially it was three sisters. And I just kind of wanted to add some drama in. And the book is completely different from that now. It kind of, it really changed over time. But what I really wanted to write about was how something can happen in our lives and we carry it with us for the rest of our lives or almost the rest of our lives until, but we don't realize we're carrying it. And it affects everything we do. It affects our relationship with other people. And I just really wanted to explore that. You know, our childhood echoes into our future. So what was your process when you first started? Are you the kind of writer that just kind of writes to see what happens or did you have a a character in mind when you started writing? So my process is that I have an idea um, and I kind of know the characters. And then once I have an idea, which is fully realized, that's key. And then I know the characters. I write two to three thousand words a day until the book is finished. Um, With Amber, it was a little different. What I did was I kind of I reread the script. And then it's the only time I've ever done it like this, obviously. But um, and then I wrote the script was there and then I deleted the black part of the script and then I wrote it as a novel and I think that kind of helped a lot with the structure of the book and then every draft it became completely different after every draft I mean it's um there's there's a love story in it now um it's 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 romance as well so and so I think every draft became clearer and deeper and I think that's why Mm. doing lots of different drafts helps. What made you decide then you had this film script and what made you think no it's got to be a novel? Basically um, it's so hard to get a film made and it's so expensive (laughs) but I wrote um, another novel Um, I used to be an actor 
and I did that for a very long time. So I wrote a novel set in the acting world and I finished the first draft of that and then I thought, you know, I want to write another novel. And I kind of need another idea now. Um, so I thought, oh, I have this film script, I'll rewrite that as a novel. So and that's just what I did. So you just kind of gave it a go and thought, I'll see how it turns yeah. out. Yeah, exactly. Nothing to lose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Can you explain the meaning of the title for us, the Ember title? Yeah, it was initially called something else. And I won't actually say what the old title was, because I think it might actually get, it gives away too much of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's called Ember just because I think it kind of encapsulates that thing of just like a dying fire when there's just like, there's still something there and it can go out or maybe it can be, can spark again. Mm-hmm. So I think it kind of it kind of fitted into what the it fit, fits into the romance part of it, but also it fits into the fact that even when we think something has stopped, it is it's this 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 mm. the dying fires are still there. Yeah, it's uh, the long-standing kind of resentments within the family. Um, yeah, they had they definitely have potential to um they do in in the novel kind of spark back up again when they when they meet. Yeah, and, ex- and certain things happen. So you explore this very kind of difficult, complicated family dynamic in the novel. And you look at issues such as forgiveness and grief. And they're quite tough subjects because they don't really yeah. have a easy resolution. There's not kind of a, particularly in families, I think, and many people experience this in real life, nothing's kind of magically fixed. It takes a long time. And that's something you've tried to explore in the novel so I was wondering how that how that worked when you were writing it were there when you when you were sort of how did you develop those kind of long-standing grudges but did you have them all in your head when you started writing or were there things that came out when you started writing dialogue where you suddenly discovered that there was a conflict you weren't aware of what was really interesting about this book is that um, when I was writing it the Prince Harry and Meghan thing um, like I think the very last draft I was like that kind of happened as well and I found that and when I was submitting it to people I was saying like this is a timely book because of Mexit you know it's just about you know if you think about our relationship with our siblings our longest relationship in life is with our siblings there's no other relationship that is that long and you know, you have different personalities, you have different people, and then sometimes something can happen. And it's just, it's, 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 it's people, other people are annoying, you know, they say hell is other people. Well, hell is your siblings because, you know, <laughs> you love them, but sometimes you don't like them. Or and another thing is that the people who you are in childhood, other people still think you're that person. And I think everybody has a difficult person in their family and everybody says we should you should forgive your family and family is the most important thing in life but I think what the novel explores is is family the most important thing in life should people be in our life just because we're related to them Mm. even if they're toxic even if they hurt us even if they cause us damage and people always say yes because family is so important 
but I think the most important thing in life is love and true mm. love and being treated with love and respect because they say your friends are the family that you choose and yeah and I think the other thing is that people do hold grudges it's so human people who grudges they have resentments and sometimes you won't even know I mean I had a falling out with a family member um, which obviously I won't go into I had a horrible falling out with a family member about something that happened years and years and years ago which I had not even realized they were upset about mm. so it's just it's 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 very relevant mm. I think while we're on the subject of uh, love and true love we need to talk about the relationship between Natalie and Rob in this novel. Yeah. And when we first meet them, it's not in a very happy yeah. situation. <laughs> They're not in a great place. So I was wondering what kind of work you did to create their love story. Are you the sort of person that creates all these massive kind of character sheets or do you go with the flow a bit more? Do you know, I don't do character sheets. I think at one point I did write down like, Natalie what she looked like and some things about her but I am not a planner at all um I kind of my characters are very real for me they they're people who like they're walking around they're very like to me they're real people obviously mm. like when the book's done um I kind of move on to other book but I think it's like I studied acting and when you study acting what they tell you is that if some everything about a person tells you something about them the way they move, the way they think, the way they speak, the clothes they wear, everything. And as a writer, that is immensely helpful. And that should be good for writers to take an acting class or to do some acting maybe because you learn that everything about someone tells you something about them and it gets, you can then get very deep into a character mm. in a very good way. So how did you uh, develop that love story then? How did you decide that Natalie and Rob were the one for each other it's, it's quite they've got quite a funny relationship where they have all of these funny things kind of it's like they're removing the barbs thing you know like natalie's a rose covered in thorns um some people use this analogy when they're talking about romance writing and then eventually you remove the barbs and you remove the barbs and she is struggling and people think i mean if she's a very accomplished person she's a doctor um she's she's in her late 30s and people think that if you're in your late 30s and you're accomplished, then you just have everything together. And she's just, she wasn't loved as a child and she didn't get to have a childhood. So in a way, her father coming back brings out the child in her again. Mm. And when she breaks up with Rob, she breaks up with him for him. She loves him. So she sac tries to sacrifice herself for him. And he doesn't give up on her. And in the end, she exposes her vulnerabilities, I think, and she allows herself, um, she kind of allows herself to be loved, mm. which is what we all need to do. We all need to allow ourselves to be loved. You have to be vulnerable enough to be loved. I wanted to speak a little bit about Natalie because she's an interesting character because she doesn't, yeah. she has very strong opinions on what society expects of her. And she's very much like, she feels the pressure yeah. of her family asking her when she's going to have kids and when she's going to get married. And yeah, was that an aspect you were really keen on exploring in this book? It was, yes, because I think it's so unfair on women, especially women in their 30s. People are always 
talking about our wombs, when we're going to have children, when we're going to have more children. And it's a huge amount of pressure. I mean, I don't think men realise just how much pressure it is being a woman and having a biological clock. And especially if you want to have children and that time is ticking on. Mm. It is very, I mean, I had a male friend once say to me that women in their mid-30s are terrified and terrifying. And it kind kind of, it's probably, God, that might even be true, but it kind of like enraged me in a way because I thought, you know, it is probably true. You know, I'm I'm lucky um, because I I have children. But it's just like, actually, when I wrote the book I didn't have children it tells you how long it takes to write a book get right. it published I didn't have children so the question of children was a question mark over my head when I wrote mm. this book and I wanted to have children so in a way I put my insecurities of societies of society and my own insecurities into the book as well mm. but it's really tough you know she's everybody keeps going on at her like when are you going to get married when are you going to have children and it's like she's a doctor she's (laughs) accomplished she has her own life she's living a good life she's happy you know why does it matter we have Mm. this old-fashioned view of how women should live and be and why can't we just be ourselves why can't we just live our lives the way men are allowed to Matthew Perry doesn't have children no one even knows. Jennifer Aniston doesn't have children. It's a big news story. Yeah, that's all so the true. time, even now. Yeah, I noticed in your, um, I think it's in your author's note that it said how much you enjoy writing women's fiction because you feel like women deserve to have their kind of like messy selves written about. It's not these. Kind yeah. Of, uh, you want to write flawed female characters. How do you feel about that kind of stigma that's attached to? well I guess it's snobbery attached to women the women's fiction genre yeah. how do you feel about that and would you like to see attitudes towards the genre change I would yeah it's, there's only a woman in it they say women's fiction because it's about women's lives and mm. when it's men's fiction I don't say oh, yeah, there's men's no, fiction. There's no men's, men's fiction life. category is exactly. there? <laughs> yeah and it is tremendously sexist I mean, one of my favorite genres is women's fiction. And I'm saying that with quotation marks, you know, the mm. whole bunny ears thing. And it is, it is sexist. I think basically the people can't think of a different way to describe it. And that way it's clearly marketable. Mm. You know, the publishing industry decided that this is how they sell books. But there's a huge stigma about anything to do with women. Um, I mean, apparently men don't read a lot of, fiction by women and you have to wonder why I mean I mm. I love reading books about men and how they think you know it'd be, maybe they'd learn more about us and it'd be a better world yeah. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about the point of view in your novel because um you've got sections which are set in the present and then you've got sections yeah. that go back to the past um and I as I've mentioned you, you explore um the story from the mother's point of view from when she split with her husband and you also explore Rob's point of view so I was wondering why you picked kind of a multiple POV story rather than uh, just kind of going with one character going with say Natalie's story yeah so initially it was all written um, in past tense um kind of past tense third person and I read it and actually I sent it off to someone called Claire Dyer who's um, a very good novelist 
and she said, I think it, this book would be better if it was written in the first tense. And I was like, oh my God, don't say that to me, please, 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 please. <laughs> and she thought, and I read it and I was actually quite embarrassed that I sent it out in that state um, because after I read it again, I read that draft, it was a terrible, terrible novel and it was written so badly. Um, I, I might be over-exaggerating, but I completely, the book from when I sent it out to her to when I rewrote it is completely different. And then I did actually send it out again um, to someone called um, Margaret Graham, who is a best-selling author and who is a really, really lovely person. And she she liked it when I sent it to her and she read it. But I think I had to get really deep into the characters. And the best way to do that was to get to tell their own stories. Mm-hmm. Um, I think dual timeline is actually quite popular at the moment. I think a lot of authors are doing that. And I didn't actually realize I'd done dual timeline initially but I've noticed a lot of novels now are kind of set in the 90s and then set in the present day in the same way that Ember is. But yeah, I think I just wanted to write the, the characters to tell their own story. Mm. I thought it worked better that way. What made you write from Jacqueline's point of view? Because um, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that she's not alive in the present. So what made yeah. you decide to tell her story then? Do you know what? I telling her story meant so much to me because Jacqueline to me is every woman who has sacrificed herself for her children and her husband or just any anyone who cares for anyone and she she gets no respect for it you know and at some point Natalie has a terrible relationship with her mother because she takes her father back and then she Mm. sees um, her dad cheating on her mother she doesn't respect her mother and she doesn't see, see that there's a full picture you know children can be so cruel and they have they'd have a very limited view of the world at that point they don't see the the nuance but I had to tell her story and I want to tell her story in her own voice because she she just had she just had to have it it's for the sake of feminism for the sake of all of these women who sacrifice so much mm. and end up not getting a fair a fair time basically so yeah. do you feel like when you wrote this family you had characters in there that you empathized more with than others and do you do you feel like you I guess because Natalie is I would say I guess the main character do you feel like you empathize with her most yeah that's an interesting question I think Natalie's she can be a bit difficult (laughs) and she can be like a little bit unlikable and she kind of gets in her own way quite a lot Mm. so she can be a bit infuriating but she's very human and she's very real and I think I think there was a point where we weren't allowed to write books where women were real women and they weren't messy and but the men were allowed to and I've noticed there's a lot of books coming out now where the women are just real well-rounded people because mm. I had um, an early reader say Natalie acts erratic quite a lot of the time can you explain to us why that may be and I'm just like it's just her she's allowed to she's <laughs> a human being she's allowed her own personality she's allowed to be triggered by things you know I mean there's you take a human being and there's so much to them and there's so much to their past and their present and People are deep, you know, and 
we should be writing about that in books rather than just thinking, oh, yes, they're just perfect and they behave all of the time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So you said already that you sent your book off in its early stages to a couple of uh, authors that you knew to give some to give you some feedback so how did that kind of work in terms of shaping your novel you said that one of the writers said they they thought the novel would be better in a different perspective so how do you think that feedback helped you and did you have like beta readers and stuff how did how did that work so if the people who read it were I'm Claire and Margaret um I think my husband might have read a very very early draft like six seven years ago I'm not sure he read all he's not really my um target audience <laughs> um not because he's a man hopefully but because he likes fantasy and mm-hmm. kind of sci-fi um he doesn't really read that type of books but my husband's really brutal with his feedback and then Claire gave really good feedback but I didn't really send out to a lot um of people though I think that's a really good way for a writer to realize because otherwise you're just doing draft after draft and you just do not know if it's good or not but I'm Mm. lucky now that um when I do a draft I send it to my agent and she is a great editor and she gives great feedback I'm so lucky to have her Mm. she's really good yeah that's really useful to get um someone else's perspective like you say when you're editing constantly you're you're seeing the same things, the same problems with it. And sometimes getting someone else's perspective helps you see things, yeah. see what the issue is sometimes, I think. And yeah. if you're getting if you're getting the same comments from a couple of people, then you start to think exactly. mm, maybe there is something wrong with it. 
I agree with that because if, if one person says something it's their opinion but if mm. everybody's saying the same thing then there's something wrong with it mm. and you don't notice certain things about your book because you're so in it you know you know these characters you know the story but someone else reads it and you're like oh yeah that doesn't make sense you need that mm. you do need it and sometimes it's even little things I was speaking to another debut the other day Laura Price and she was saying that her editors kept telling her there's too many cups of tea in this novel you know your characters oh, yeah. are always making <laughs> cups of tea and it, when you've been yeah. you know if you've got like a 300 page uh, manuscript you and you've read it so many times you don't pick up on those things you yeah, need yeah, that yeah. external person to to help you see your way through the like the wood from the trees basically yeah exactly I had lots of characters turning so it's like oh he he, he turned he turned he turned and I was like oh god mm. I have to, if I say the word turned again I will go insane <laughs> but yeah every writer has those little things which they do like bad habits mm. yeah words that yeah. crop up way too many times I know we, we've all yeah I know you have been writing since you were very very small you've always been yeah uh, scribbling away at something so did you always dream of becoming an author and writing a novel? I did, yeah. Um, so I, when I was like really young, I wrote just I just wrote um, on sheets of paper a, a novel. Um, I think I got to like fourteen and a half pages <laughs> before I realised I didn't have a plot or anything else. But I've always written. I wrote um, a poem um, when I was in high school. And my English teacher said, this is amazing. It's outstanding. It's so good. Um, and he really, really, he told me I was a good writer and that I could be a writer. And I remember I took it home and I showed it to my mother and I was really proud. And I sent some poems out and I got one in an anthology. And that was just what, it, that's what it took mm. um, for me to realize that because I read a book a day. I mean, I still sometimes read a book a day. If my children let me. <laughs> <laughs> but I um I love reading and I love writing I mean that's that's pretty much my entire life it's not really mm. it's just something I think sometimes you're just kind of it's just who you are even if no one read my novels I would still write mm. it's, it's something that I need to do so you've already said you're not much of a planner so you don't have all your kind of spreadsheets and post-it notes but I was wondering what your kind of ideal writing day is like. I know you, I think you've recently joined TikTok and you've been talking about yeah. how to write alongside having a family and yeah. obviously the challenges that come with that. So for you, yeah. what's a kind of perfect writing day look like then? My perfect writing day, I would drop my children off at school. I'd come home, my baby would take a nap <laughs> and then I would write. And sometimes that does happen. Um, and then I get to write for two, three hours. Um, it doesn't matter long. For, yeah, I can, sometimes I can nap for two hours. But my ideal writing day would be, um, it would just, I've no idea what it's like to just be able to write all day. And one day my youngest will be in school and I will have just like six hours to myself where I will just write. And then sometimes I think what will happen, mm. where I'll go, what I'll do, you know, that type of, that type of thing where you just think it'll be a completely different reality but I, I and then again there won't be the same chaos that I have now which I actually love obviously <laughs> so are you the type of writer that can kind of 
squeeze writing in where you've got available time like even if it's only for 10 minutes or do you like to sit and just get I know you said you can sometimes write up to 3,000 words a day which is an amazing amount of words do you prefer to kind of do it in bigger chunks when you when you have them so basically um, I can write a thousand words an hour um, because I need to be able to do that but the thing is, is concentrating because I get distracted very easily and I want to go onto Twitter or I want to go onto TikTok <laughs> or I hear a good song and I want to listen to the song or I go mm. to the fridge and I go eat some chocolate. So I have to kind of just like just set myself down and concentrate. And concentration um, is probably the hardest thing for me. It's something that I need to kind of work on. But the, how I wrote my first book, actually, my acting novel, was I wheeled my son around in his pram until he fell asleep. And I wrote the two to three thousand words on my iPhone. That's how I wrote my first novel. Mm. And then my third one, I wrote a lot of it when my kids were sleeping between 9 p.m. and I think midnight, 1 1 a.m. I wrote and edited. So it's just kind of finding it's just it's just finding the time I think but yeah I can I can really get into the flow I love my favorite thing about writing is writing a first draft Mm -hmm. where you just write and it's fun and it's flowing and then my least favorite is when you have to edit the words and they're a mess (laughs) (laughs) I'm a big advocate of writing on your phone um I do it as well I think it's a it's a great way. I, I, I sometimes even just write a sentence and then I know I have it there yeah. to come back to when I've got more yeah. time. But it's a great way of, I guess it's like the, the modern equivalent of uh, carrying around a notebook and pen with you everywhere. Yeah. Um, I know people that email themselves uh, some work and things. That's quite a good way of doing it so you don't lose it. Do you think that that kind of concentration thing is your biggest challenge to overcome when you're writing or is there something else that is more of an obstacle to you when you're writing? Um, It's kind of finding time. Yeah, it's the concentration. Mm. Because when I finally get um, time to write, there's a lot of things, like there's always a lot of things that need done. Mm. And there's like my to-do list is always really long. So I think before I got published, I didn't know if um, writing was just something that I was doing for myself. Sometimes it felt a bit selfish. And I think that's the problem with women is we think if we do something for ourselves, um, it's selfish. Mm. Whereas men can do something for themselves all of the time. And that's what we need to get past. So now it's, it's, just, it's just sitting down saying, this is worth it. This is mm. what I love. And it's now a career because I published and I have an agent. So I'm going to sit down, I'm going to concentrate, I'm going to write and I'm going to edit. Mm. yeah and not check twitter and not check tiktok (laughs) (laughs) i wanted to speak as well about your online magazine frost magazine i just wonder whether you could tell us a little bit about that how it started you've been running it for quite a few years now yeah 12 years wow such a long time it's just it blows my mind actually so i started that 12 years ago it's um, a lifestyle magazine it's books and lifestyle um I started it uh I just wanted to well I moved to London I didn't know anybody and I wanted to interview people and I wanted to go to things and I thought that was the best way but we do lots of stuff with offers we do um the five books that changed me we do a writing process um Jean Cable who's a very successful offer she's the contributing editor and Margaret Graham um who's again who I mentioned before who's a fantastic best-selling author she's the 
editor and I'm editor in chief. And we do reviews, we do restaurant reviews. I once went to Toulouse, flown first class to Toulouse, and I reviewed restaurants and went to festivals. And yeah, it's just, it's, it's a really nice family, Frost Magazine is. It's a re really great bunch of contributors who just love writing and writing about books, writing about food and reviewing stuff. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> I will add the link to your on my magazine in the show notes when I when it's oh, uh, uploaded. So I wondered whether you have some. You've been writing this novel for a long time. You must have read yeah. a lot of writer advice and and gained a lot yeah. of knowledge through that. So I was wondering if you could give us your top three tips for writers working on their first novel. Okay, my top three tips. Number one, write it get it done, finish it. Number two, don't listen to anyone who is negative in any way about your writing. Uh, you, can, you can write this book, you have a story, you have a voice. And number three, this is, the, this is the most top tip. Once you're finished and you've edited it, have the courage to send it to people. Because so many people I know want to be writers and are too scared to send a work out and you can't be a writer unless you submit your work and you send it to other people so just be brave know your worth and do it great that's really confidence building advice there so I was wondering whether you could give us some comparison novels to um compare to Ember ones that novels that you think kind of share a similar space or share similar themes what books do you think that kind of sit nicely with your book? Um, you know, that's a really good question because, you know, when you submit to agents and stuff, they always mm -hmm. ask you to compare your novel to other novels. And that's the thing I struggled most with. I was like, how can I compare my book to other books that I've read and that I love? You know, it seemed a bit, I was worried people would think that's arrogant or something. Um, I think then I actually look back at the novels I compared uh, my book to and one was um, by Kate Murray Brown called The Upstairs Room. It's a really good um, book. It's kind of, uh, they say it's kind of like a ghost story. It's about the, there's a ghost in the upstairs room, but fundamentally that book is about relationships. And when I read that book, I was, I was really impressed and it kind of opened my eyes to what I was doing with my book, which is writing a book about relationships and people. Because I think some people can be quite, it's that whole woman's fiction thing again, where they're quite snooty if you're writing about people in relationships, you know. Mm. If someone's not dead on page 10, they're like, this has no <laughs> worth. <laughs> so I think Kate Murray Brown when I read Sorrow and Bliss, I kind of felt, I'm not comparing my book to Sorrow and Bliss because I thought that was a masterpiece, but I kind of felt it had similarities to my book. Um, they both have um, female characters that are a bit, um, there's no mental illness in my book, but there's, they both have female characters that are like they're very much themselves. And they're, they're acting kind of a certain way and they have lots of stuff going on with their family and their lives. Um, I think Meg Mason, she's so, she writes so honestly and unflinchingly. And then I think the other people that I wrote was um, Adele Parks, I hope, because Adele Parks is just a writing goddess. 
in BA Paris, and then Sheila O'Flanagan. And then the last one is actually Sophie Cousins. Um, she wrote, oh my God, Sophie, she's such, such a good writer. She's amazing. Have you, have you read her books? No, I know of her, but I, I can't think, I don't think I've read anything of hers, no. She's written two books, um, this time last year, and then just haven't met you yet. And I've read both of them and they're both so good. They're, they're so deep in their characterization. They're really good. Mm. So finally, are you able to tell us about what you're writing now or your next project? Yeah, so I have um, I have a book on submission. Um, that's the acting book set in the acting world. And then I have another book that's gained um, some interest, hopefully, fingers crossed. Uh, it's kind of like a Mean Girls of Mortgages book. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about, it's kind of set um, in school, you know, it's like a PTA book. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know? Um, so it's like a school gate. Mm. And the mother's kind of, it's how misunderstandings happen between people and then things escalate from those misunderstandings. Mm. And then I've written another book called, um, race to the altar about a couple who break up and then competitively try to get married before each other and yeah and then I wrote a short story collection so hopefully fingers crossed I will get um deals for all of those we'll have to see well I think your Mean Girls of Mortgages is a great pitch so um yeah I wish you I wish you luck with with pitching them and uh and all your other writing projects I'm still I'm still blown away by the the 3,000 words a day thing so uh you're going to be yeah. very busy yeah indeed I will be <laughs> thank you so much Catherine for uh coming on the podcast to speak with me today no thank you for having me I love your podcast I've listened to all of them that was Catherine Yardley talking about her debut contemporary novel, Ember, which is out now and available to buy. Before I go, let me just tell you about two events I've got coming up where I'm hosting this podcast, Confessions of a Debut Novelist, live. First, I'm going to be talking to three authors at the Being a Writer Festival, hosted by the Literary Consultancy on June the 28th. Then on July the 22nd, I'm going to be talking to Louise Morish, about her historical novel at Jericho Writers Summer Festival. Both of these events are virtual, so you can join anywhere in the world and even ask questions. Thank you so much for listening. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Or if you've subscribed already, it'd be great if you could leave me a review. See you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.